Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast, where with each episode, we hear from different women experts in the health IT industry. We like to hear about what makes them tick, how they overcome challenges, work they're proud of, advice they would give to other women in health IT, and much more. I'm Joy Rios. And I'm Robin Roberts. Today's guest is Christine Monkhouse, founder of Patient Orator. Christine is working to transform healthcare using her former nursing background and sharing real patient experiences through vlogging. Let's listen to her discuss her mission and personal experiences about this exciting project. Sure. Um, so as I mentioned before, my name is Christine Monkhouse. I'm the founder of Patient Orator, um, which is the home for all patient voices and healthcare stories, uh, more specifically visual content related. So I create the best videos <laughs> regarding uh, patient stories and uh, the patient voices um, and other uh, stakeholders in the environment voices. How did I get here? <laughs> I, um, I was at bedside with patients for a number of years. Um, I used to be a nursing assistant. Um, and while I was at bedside with patients, the narrative of the patient voice was we feel as though our voice does not matter. Um, and folks were very comfortable in saying that to me because I was open and receptive to what was being said. Um, and I was also very compassionate about um, uh, the patients that I was seeing. And I just empathized with that story, with those stories over, the, over a number of years. Um, and so after over and over and over again hearing, we feel as though our voice is not being valued, and then also being on the front lines, I realized as the person who was providing the care, my voice wasn't valued. Um, and so that was a side that I knew that patients were not familiar with. They, did, they weren't aware that uh, the, um, the nurses, the nursing assistants, the doctors, that they have pain points too, and which uh, limits them to provide the best care that they possibly can. And I felt that uh, if we can have a more collaborative conversation around health and healthcare, that perhaps we can empathize with, uh, with each other's struggles, with each other's barriers, and, and then perhaps we can change healthcare in one way or another. 
I love that. And you, we actually met you at a Pink Socks event just the other day. And that part of their mission and what they're doing is really the empathy in it. So I love that it was born, not just, you know, what you're doing now is born from, you know, some of the struggle of the patients and what you heard, but yourself as a clinician. So who do you think is heard most in some of maybe, let's just say the most broken systems or facilities? Who do you feel like is driving that ship sometimes? I'd like the people who make the most noise uh, to drive that ship. I think stereotypically, when we talk about healthcare, we tend to point the fingers at physicians and say that they're the ones that are driving um, how care is delivered. But physicians have their barriers too. And so it's important to understand that everyone has their barriers, but if patients are being the noisemakers and they're saying, you know, we need better care or we need interoperability so that we can have more fluency in our care, then perhaps they will be changed that way and, and, and administrators will listen because that's where the demand is, is from. Yeah. So with the, um, some of the patient stories that you're telling through video, if I understand, can you share some of those examples and what impacts have they had so far? So the healthcare community is very receptive to uh, the videos that I'm sharing. But some of the examples that I've had that have personally impacted the way I even perceive healthcare and, 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 and even empathize with others beyond like my years of being at bedside um, has dramatically shifted. Uh, one of the stories that I love to share and the reason why I love to share this is because I remember this day as clear as day. <laughs> um, I was in Michigan last year and I met a young woman who was Caucasian, about 26, 27 years old. Um, and I stopped her and I said, you know, I, my name is Christine, this is what I do, I'd love to uh, hear your story and your experience in healthcare. And she shared that she had lost her left eye because she didn't have health insurance. And that is tragic, right? Then she went on further and said she had kidney failures because she didn't have health insurance. That's one of the stories that I've collected and, and that has impacted me and, 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 and kept me on the journey that I'm on to continue to bring these stories forward because they're necessary um, in, in creating change and they're necessary in, uh, in, in, in building empathy once again, going back to empathy, um, I think. Do you feel like that a lot of the stories you hear, it sounds like that one in particular intersects with insurance, but I'm sure you're also hearing stories where it impacts with an individual clinical care provider or maybe a bill that somebody got or just experience in general. So I think it's really dynamic, probably a lot of the different things you're hearing and just the unique journey that each person goes on and really maybe the impetus or the why behind it. That's got to be pretty, pretty interesting. What's interesting to me is that it all ties back to social determinants of health, right? I know that's a buzzword in healthcare right now, but these issues existed long before I was even born, right? Um, and they will continue to exist uh, until we can recognize that each and every single human being, that their life matters, right? And it's not about just a buzzword. Social economic factors absolutely impacts the way um, people can achieve or obtain optimal health. That is the bottom line. So if someone doesn't have enough money to, I don't know, maybe eat healthy, that will impact their health. If they don't have uh, proper housing, that will impact their health. 
housing insecurity is a major issue in the U.S. I know states like California, New York, especially high numbers. Um, I, I forgot the state, but um, there is a, a homeless crisis. Uh, and I'm not recalling. We Seattle. Have in, we have one in California. And I'm in San Diego. It's one of the worst homeless crises in the country. It's, yes. It's pretty wild. And it's, you know, when you break that down a little bit and you know, we tend to otherwise homeless people. But when you break it down, in, in, in my work, when I'm speaking to folks in the streets, you realize that these are human beings. They're mothers and children that are sleeping on the street because they don't have a home to go home to, right? Pun. <laughs> I had a, um, sorry to interrupt you, no, but I, in the mornings, my husband and I would have a, a routine and of it is taking our dog to the dog park and one in particular one day actually one week we saw a gentleman basically who was sleeping in the park he was a um, must have been grandpa age which is in and of itself kind of a sad situation but he had two um school age kids with him and they were you know they had to have been five years old and you just think what is going on with that family right there and what how did they get there and they're I'm, I'm watching them walk out of the park like they just woke up with their little backpacks on and he's trying to take them to school and to your point you know there's no diagnosis code for homelessness or not having you know enough food to eat yeah. and it impacts it has to impact on their health absolutely absolutely if you think about those kids and the fact that they're where they're going to school is probably the most uh, stable place for them and how that experience could help shape and break them too and how important and critical having that schooling is in those kids' life. And for me, it goes back to economic incentives. So it's what can we do both on a public sector, both in the public sector and the private sector to better address these issues. I don't think the issues of socioeconomic factors can be addressed with just private sector or public sector, I think it has to be a perfect marriage. And I think technology presents an absolute incredible opportunity to both measure what the issues are and address those issues through those measurements. You really are humanizing yes. the problem through this platform you have built in the storytelling. Yes. When you think about the other people that can help, or maybe even private industry over public, because they should complement each other, because we have to attack it from both sides. Is there anyone out there in your space that you feel like is could play or is played an important role in improving some of the challenges or the stories or the issues that that you're personally connected to now in your business? So I I don't know that I have a specific answer to to that. But I would love to see more collaboration in healthcare. Um, well, I have to call time out now. Sure, go ahead. Question. <laughs> go ahead. Our main second question is if you could snap your fingers yeah. and have any one problem in healthcare or health IT solved, mm. what is it and why? And it can be some magical universe thing. And you have obviously a very um, a great experiences to draw upon. So maybe it's hard to find one. What would be, I don't know, maybe your top two. Tell us your top two. Truthfully, if if I could fix an issue, I think I would love to see that every single human being, regardless of class, race, color, gender identity, whatever the barrier is, I would love to see that every human being is treated, treated 
in a humanized way, right? That I can look at you as a human being and regardless of what your economic status is, that I can be human to you. And so if you take that into healthcare, that a provider can look at their patient and treat them with the most uh, optimal care um, and, and not think about the financial aspects and things like that, right? But in a realistic world, um, there are constraints. So it's now how do we work around those constraints or how do we better navigate those constraints so that patients or people can be treated as people and not as a dollar sign. And so coming from the hospital background, I would tell you that most, most providers don't know the names of patients. They're addressed as room numbers. And that's the reality, right? So that's one of the pieces. Uh, I, I think the other piece is the issue of equity. In this environment, as a woman, as a woman of color, as a millennial, what else? <laughs> it encompasses a lot of factors, right? It's yes. And again, and in addition, I think ethnicity for me, and I'm coming from a personal place and space, and so that's why the issue of equity in health IT or even healthcare is very important to address uh, because the opportunities are... It's, it's much more difficult to navigate that space as a person of color, as a woman, and I'm sure you, you guys yeah. know. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's funny. I was telling Robin about some of the health disparities specifically for women of color that have been um, brought to the forefront recently. Yeah, we're working on a pain project, and she was bringing up some uh, points specific yeah. to this yesterday. And I imagine that shows up for you in your line of work. Is Can you speak to that at all? And actually probably put a little bit more light to it, because I don't think I did the best job of explaining it to her. But ultimately, there's bias within the medical community, specifically with women of color, of thinking either that they don't experience pain in the same way, um, and many other things. So is that anything that you can speak to? I can speak to my personal experience with the issue of pain. Okay. So I experienced pelvic pain for over three years. And I was seen by over seven different specialists. I have the paperwork to show this before I was prescribed pain medication. Three years later for pelvic pain. Which is wild considering how some people are prescribing yes. medication for things that don't necessarily, you know, opiate yes. or schedule two medication for things that aren't medically necessary. Yes. So, and, and I didn't I didn't know it was an issue of color, really, until I started speaking to more folks and I started realizing that this is this is not a now issue. It's been ongoing that, that it's perceived in the medical community that uh, African Americans or, or people of color don't experience pain as their white counterparts. Parts, right, and so which is not true at all. Um, but I was speaking to an African American patient, and she said that's not true. What it is is that we would avoid encountering the healthcare community as much as we can because of those stereotypes that exist. But the issue of pain still lies. You still experience pain, right? So, so that's that's one of the that's I think that speaks to your point. Yeah, and is it part of not being believed? Yeah, when when I was when I was at bedside, I remember I remember a patient being African American patient being in such horrible pain, and she was screaming at the top of her lungs, and she said, you know, I'm treated less than a human being, 
why won't you give me any medication? And I understand the other side of it because a nurse can't just <laughs> administer pain medication. But I, I empathize with her both from a human standpoint, from a woman's standpoint, and from a person of color standpoint. I understood where she, where she was coming from. But, but she <coughs> suffered, and, and you, could, you could see the pain within her. And you think about illnesses or, or, or diseases that African Americans suffer from or people of color suffer from, and how it's difficult. Well, it's oftentimes that those are the ones that have no cure. Right, because there's no investment there, and so those are some of the disparities that we see when we speak about issues or illnesses that affect people of color versus people um, of non-color. Yeah. So I did a short stint as a pharmacy tech about ten years ago, and I did some pharmacy training. And I remember being in the pharmacy training one day, and the pharmacist was kind of, I guess, for the best way to describe it, was talking down about a mom who was impatient, waiting for her meds for a child, antibiotic, and something else and basically made a remark about Medicaid. And I thought, I'm a mom, and if I was waiting for my amoxicillin for my daughter, all I want to do is get home, get that first dose in her. I don't care. And at the time, I didn't think much of it. I wasn't there the next day. But recently went on a journey where our son got sick with a wildly improbable disease. And he had a certain medication that was quite expensive, and it was only covered by Medicaid. And his care was so intense and he was event dependent that I showed up and it wasn't just a yoga pants bus stop moment that I would have had any, any other morning. I literally was sleeping every other day for almost the better part of two years. I probably looked pretty horrific and I was there to get pain medication for my son. Narcotics prescribed by hospice. And the way I was treated, even as a patient at pharmacy, by a pharmacist that was brand new, and it was Medicaid that happened to cover it, not my commercial insurance. He didn't see that I was working full-time, that I had three other kids or whatever. But just getting a flavor of that, just like our whole experience with our son, really helped remove some of those rose-colored glasses that I wore. When you walk in those shoes and you're on the other side of that equation, I can't even begin to explain how it felt or the way I felt interrogated by someone waiting for it or the way they were even counseling me about the medication. It wasn't the same as when I had walked in there with my handbag, my two, my three healthy children in tow at five o'clock, just trying to get home on my best day. It was a totally different experience. And I think just living through that, it kind of helped lift this veil of ignorance that I think sometimes we're not even aware of. And I'm so glad that the stories you're telling or the things that you have specific, even in your personal stories or that you'll highlight with others, will bring that to light. Because I think even for me, it's like you just have to realize you don't know what you don't know. It was really eye-opening. And it's not to compare apples to apples to, to your lifetime experience or what your other folks are going to share through the vlogs, which is great. But I think... In our journey, not only what I lived through, but listening to other people's stories, it really just shifts perspective to first educate people that these things are going on in the first place, and two, it does create, it's just human nature, you create this mental juxtaposition of what's going on and what exists, and you're hearing it firsthand from these people, and you're just going, it's just this aha, and these oh my god moments that occur. And I think it's so important that the stakeholders out there are hearing that as well. I love what you just said, uh, and I empathize with your personal story. And I almost never know what to say when someone has had a bad experience. Um, and I, I hope that 
you don't ha ever have to encounter that or that anyone else doesn't have to encounter that kind of stigmatization. But they do every day. But but it's a reality and depending on what the color of your skin is and, and your, your income bracket is, it's even worse. But you perfectly summarized the reason why I started this work. It was to inform, it was to educate, and it was to lift that veil of what the reality is of what other people's experiences are. And um, I think if we can look at human beings and we can see that they're, they're just trying to achieve the best life that they possibly can and make do with what they have, and accept that for what it is without our preconceived judgments and all of these things that we carry with us that are biases about other folks, then somehow we can change the narrative of healthcare, essentially. And in, in a lot of ways, my work is very humanitarian, and I realize that, and, and I own that, and I'm very proud of that, because I've always known that I wanted to be a change maker from the age of seven years old. <laughs> I've always known that. I just didn't know that healthcare was the way it was going to play out. And I didn't know that my gift of telling stories would be through videography. Right, And so when people look at me and they're like, oh, she's a videographer. No, I'm not. I'm so many other things, right? I'm the person that tells the story and I'm educated enough to understand the issues beyond the surface. And that's why I think these stories are important to be listened to and important to be shared and, and just important uh, for decision making and important for, for the entire medical community, basically. That's what it comes down to. Two more quick questions. One, on the idea of you being such a good educator, where can people find you online? So my content is on patientorator.com. So that's www.patientorator.com. My, my website is a work in progress. <laughs> and then so there's Twitter and Instagram. And if you're like me, I prefer Instagram, and so you go on a patient orator's Instagram, the stories are beautifully laid out, it's, it's the best display of my work, okay. <laughs> and I encourage you all to visit the Instagram page, uh, but if you like Twitter, there's a Twitter page, and, and it's very active, in fact, if anyone would like to volunteer to run that page, please do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if you'd like to hear more from me, and how I think, and how just my ideas, period. You can visit me, well, you can connect with me on Twitter or LinkedIn. Um, and on Twitter, I believe my Twitter handle is Kistine M, and that's K-I-S-T-E-I-N-M. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to connect with anyone who is amplifying the voices of patients and everyone in, in the environment. All right, wrapping up one last thing. We are trying to put together a Hit Like a Girl reading list. So can you name a book or two that has impacted you personally or professionally that you'd like to share? Oh my God. So, so I will say, <laughs> most currently, I'm reading a book called Bloom. And so this book is about someone's uh, journey with cancer. And it's impacted me because he tells a beautiful story of such tragic pain in his life in such a beautiful way. And it really is a different way of looking at illness and disease. And I think everyone should check this book out because uh, we all know someone who may experience cancer. And, and I think this is a good way of empathizing and also being a part of that journey. 
Wonderful. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for having no. me. Thank you. And thank you for listening to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. If you want to know more about us or this guest, check out our website at hitlikeagirlpod.com. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate a ratings on iTunes or simply tell a friend. You can also connect with us on Twitter or Instagram at the handle hitlikeagirlpod. Thanks again. See you soon.